Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded, a podcast all about creating visibility, paths for growth, and opportunity for entrepreneurs. We focus on those entrepreneurs who are statistically underrepresented in the startup ecosystem. Your hosts are Zena Island, president of X Plus PR, a media relations agency, angel investor Aurelia Flores, managing member of Athena Digital Media Group, a digital marketing agency, and angel investor Christina Francis, president of Esteem Logic, an information technology consulting and training firm. In each episode, you will meet a new startup founder, hear about their company and where they are now. We then focus on one key challenge facing that entrepreneur, a challenge that is common among startups. Each episode also features a guest expert to weigh in on the challenge. Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded. Welcome. Hi, this is Aurelia and we're excited to have you here. Developing countries will account for nearly half of total global consumption over the next decade. Emerging and developing economies represent significantly underserved markets for healthcare products and services. As a result, many founders, especially those with medical devices, are exploring ways to introduce, position, and grow their startups and companies in emerging markets. Additionally, investors, both institutional and individuals, expect to increase participation in emerging markets. And we'll have a discussion in a little bit about what we mean by emerging and developing economies and so forth. So we'll leave that for a little bit later. But today we're going to talk to Teresa Cavell, co-founder of Neopenda, a global health tech startup innovating health technologies for high growth emerging markets. Nearly three million babies die in their first month of life every year, and 98% of these deaths occur in the developing world. 80% are preventable. Neopenda's first product, currently being validated in clinical trials in Uganda, is a wearable vital signs monitor for newborns in hospitals in low-resource settings and aims to help reduce neonatal mortality from preventable causes. Headquartered in Chicago, Illinois, Neopenda's operations are currently primarily in Uganda. The social impact enterprise was founded by Teresa and her co-founder, Sona Shaw, then graduate students in biomedical engineering at Columbia University. Teresa is passionate about applying her expertise in physiology and biomedical engineering to design healthcare solutions for vulnerable populations. Today, we will explore challenges moving from research to commercialization in emerging markets, and we will specifically explore challenges around manufacturing, maintaining inventory, and dealing with regulatory issues. It's going to be fun. Hi, this is Zena Island, and welcome to our show. Our guest expert today is Janine Uzel, a global technology executive, people, developer, transformational leader, storyteller, engineer, and self-proclaimed global citizen. And I can attest that she is every bit of that since I've known her for a number of years. Janine has more than 20 years of corporate, corporate strategy, business development, and startup experience. Prior to join, joining Wikimedia, Janine spent 16 years as an executive in GE. During her tenure with the company, she held a number of technical roles, served as a 
profit and loss leader, managed a major market consumer base, and transformed teams of people that she had leadership responsibility over. Her final role with the company was at the head of Women in Technology, where she worked across the 300,000 employee community, leading a culture shift to accelerate the number of women within the company's technical female workforce. Janine's on a mission to use her influence and voice to lead casual work that changes lives, communities, and the world. Thank you, Janine and Teresa. We are delighted to have you both on the show. Thank you, it's great to be here. Nice to meet you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Teresa, let's start with you. You have an undergraduate degree in bioengineering from Santa Clara University and a master's degree in biomedical engineering from Columbia University. Tell us how your cellular mm -hmm. reprogramming research in the nanotherapeutics <laughs> and stem cell engineering lab at Columbia led you to find or co-found Neopenda. <laughs> sure, I'll dive right in. Thanks, thanks again for having me. I'm excited to talk to you all today about what we're doing at Neopenda and, and my, my background as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I come from that, that technical side as a, as a biomedical engineer, and my interests have always been in in figuring out you know, innovative solutions to unanswered challenges in healthcare and, and trying to build things that, that impact people's lives. And this led me to some work at a big biotech company and in research in academia, but I always felt that, that those environments you know, weren't exactly for me. It's hard to have a, a big impact on the individual level when you're a cog in a machine like that. Um, I didn't expect to become an entrepreneur at, at 23, but in retrospect, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, so, yeah, I met my, my co-founder, Sona, at Columbia in a, in a biomedical design course. Uh, we, we teamed up out of a sort of a shared interest in, in global health. Uh, Sona has spent a bit of time in Kenya as a teacher and with engineers without borders before as well. Um, and we had the, the opportunity to go out to Uganda together and conduct a needs assessment in, in several hospitals around the country. Um, and what we saw... Uh, around in everywhere we visited was a lack of functioning medical equipment. We would, you know, walk into to hospitals with, you know, the sort of bare bones uh, tools that the nurses were using. And then they would show us like a back room that they called like the equipment graveyard where these machines were just lying there dusty and broken. So as, a, as an engineer, this sort of set off alarm bells for me. You know, why is equipment failing in Uganda? What are the barriers, the, the environmental and use constraints that are making this translation of gold standard medical equipment difficult from, from high-resource settings to low-resource settings. Um, yeah, so we spent a lot of time in, in neonatal wards, um, in particular, observing the challenges with newborn care. And we would see, uh, you know, one or two nurses struggling to look after a room of, of 40, 60, 80 critically ill babies um, and with, with essentially no monitoring technology to help them do their job. So, Sadly, you know, babies in distress often can go unnoticed and, and die from preventable causes. Uh, so that's sort of where Neopenda was born. We, we built a, a four-in-one wearable vital signs monitor to help solve that problem. Um, and we see it sort of as an opportunity to, to help save millions of lives, and, but also to serve an underserved and, and rapidly growing market. So um, we, we've seen firsthand how, you know, almost all the traditional medical equipment out there is designed for, you know, 15% of the world's population, but the 85% of the world's population lives in emerging markets. So there's a lot of space for innovation there, and that's sort of the space that Neopenda is in right now. Since you just mentioned the words emerging markets, why don't um, you tell us a little bit about how you use that term, and then maybe, Janine, you could jump in there too. 
Hmm. Um, yeah, so for, for at least the way I'm using it, emerging markets, we're talking about um, you know, what might be more colloquially known as developing countries or um, sort of more technically as low- and middle-income uh, nations. And I would say, I, you know, I certainly agree with the definition. I also am very committed to making sure that the definition doesn't make a region of the world feel like they're underdeveloped themselves. What they mm -hmm. are is underserved in a capacity that all human rights have a right to be served in. And so whether it's because of the lack of access, the lack of funding, the lack of um, infrastructure, they are then not capable of receiving access to health, to education, to many of the areas um, or the things that are just very natural. And, and that doesn't always have to be a Uganda. You know, that could be Southeast DC, you know, mm -hmm. if, if it's, you know, if we're defining it like that. So I agree definitely mm -hmm. with Teresa's definition and then I'm often challenged to to buy people in other countries and regions to say, don't say we're underdeveloped or underserved, you know. that's We're doing quite fine at, with what we have, but we just need more capacity to receive. Um, Jenny, what part of Absolutely. Africa were you in when you were working with GE when you took over um, that role? Right, so when I led Healthy Imagination, which was our commitment to global health, rural health, emerging market health, you can call it many things. Um, I was based in Accra, Ghana, and we covered all of Sub-Saharan, which is also considered black Africa. So we worked across Sub-Saharan Africa. We had offices across the Sahara, but I personally was based in Ghana. Mm -hmm. It's just home to me. And you saw some of the some of the similar things that um, Teresa saw when she in Uganda. I know they're oh, totally sure. different areas, but and, uh, and I'm Africa. sure Teresa and I have a similar connection. She mentioned Engineers Without Borders. I'm Teresa. I'm sure you are involved with Engineering World Health um, because mm -hmm. I too am mechanical. I'm a mechanical engineer, and whilst I never worked with the organization when I was a student, I've done a lot of debriefings with that organization or preparations to help their students enter the market. And she's spot on. Um, it's very unfortunate, but the um, the volume of products that are in hospital corners or um, they're taking apart to try and use for parts. Many of the parts aren't usable, but um, they can't afford the consumables that are required. Um, mm -hmm. They're they're ruined because of power surge issues if you don't have the proper battery power solution. They don't have um, accurate training. They don't have. Um, the qualified users. So it's really important that products, and, and Teresa's work is doing this, um, that you're using task-shifted users and non-traditional workers or else you're, gonna, you're going to have this experience of this equipment graveyard. And it's devastating to see because we know the value of what those products can bring to a community of people. But it's, it's very important that when you're designing or thinking about a product that you don't go in with the mindset of, I know healthcare, I know technology, I know how to fix this. You know, we've done that, and our arrogance mm -hmm. has has been the worst of us. But to go in and and to, you know, I, when I penetrated myself in the environment and worked with midwives and others, and really understood what it took to bring a mother and a baby to life, that's when we were really able to reverse engineer our products, and that's the same thing that I see Teresa and her team doing. 
Yeah, and, and Janine, thank you, you know, um, one, for, for providing your perspective on the definition of uh, emerging markets. And, uh, you know, one of the things that struck me that um, Teresa mentioned was one of the things she likes to do is find innovative solutions to unusual uh, or unanswered challenges. And then I thought it was also interesting, Teresa, that you mentioned that you didn't see yourself as an entrepreneur. And, you know, one of the things that Janine is kind of mentioning is just the opportunity to solve problems, um, you know, from a technical perspective. So, Teresa, question for you, because I believe we need more women CTOs and women CEOs solving problems using Mm -hmm. technology globally, especially for, for challenges such as this. So how has your experience been just serving as a technical founder, and can you share any challenges you've experienced to date? Sure. Yeah, I, I just saw a piece in Forbes the other day that said only 9% of health tech startups are founded by women, and, you know, that that sounds about right. Um, Teresa, you also received funding from, the, from Cisco's CSR. Did you intentionally include corporate CSRs as part of your funding strategy? Yeah, so we um, sort of started off, um, you know, early on hitting this, this route for for competitions and prizes, uh, lots of lots of student um, events and things like that early on. So we actually competed in the Rice Business Plan competition in in 2016, and that's where we were awarded a a pretty nice prize from from Cisco's corporate social responsibility arm, um, and they've you know actually continued to be a partner of ours ever since. Um, but, you know, sort of that, that early phase with a lot of, you know, applying to, to prizes and competing in lots of competitions, that was really, you know, important for us to, to get enough funding for our idea and then to be able to then, you know, put our heads down and start building our product and our business. Um, we also uh, had some success with um, a prize from the Vodafone Americas Foundation. That was another early funder of Neopenda, as well as a couple small grants, um, and we also had uh, a little bit of funding from uh, like accelerator programs as well, most recently uh, being part of Techstars. Let's talk about your funding journey outside of the early stages, right? So mm-hmm. you've had some really interesting um, strategies around funding, particularly with the crowdfunding that you've done. But talk about your funding journey to date, kind of at a, on a broader level, will you? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, as I mentioned, we had sort of started off with a pretty, you know, broad mixture of, of competitions, prizes, grants, that, you know, sort of everything that seemed uh, like it, you know, could be relevant to our work. Um, and then last year, we, we came across equity crowdfunding as a really interesting opportunity. Um, some mentors had, had recommended the, the, the platform Republic to us. Um, and for anybody who's not familiar, it's the, the concept is it's a, an investment platform where both accredited and non-accredited individuals can can invest in startups that are curated by by the the team of sort of um, industry alumni, um, and so we we chose to to do a campaign last year. Um, we thought it would be, uh, be a good way to help you know raise awareness for Neopendus work and a way to sort of bring in investment from from people who are interested in what we're doing but aren't necessarily angels or, or traditional accredited investors. Um, and we wanted to do that because we we definitely get a lot of interest from folks, people, you know, our mission and what we're trying to do really speaks to a lot of people who, you know, want to be involved um, at various funding levels. Um, so a, a campaign, a crowdfunding equity campaign is a way, was a way for us to, you know, involve people who want to join in our journey for as little as like $100. So it was a really, I think it's a really interesting concept. Um, and I, I think it, you know, can be, it might be a part of sort of 
the changing face of investing, you know, bringing a broader diversity of potential investors uh, in, bringing a broader diversity of companies to the table. I think on, on Republic, the platform we were part of, um, almost 50% of the, the companies on there have a female founder and, and a third have an African-American or Latino founder. So that's, you know, a little higher than, than average in the venture capital world, as, as you guys know. Um, so we, we sort of like that, that aspect to it. And the campaign ended up being very successful. It exceeded our expectations. We, we raised about $300,000 on it uh, from about 700 investors. So uh, it was a big success for us, you know, really sort of grew, grew our supporter base, gave us a good, a good bit of funding to feed into our seed round um, and was definitely an interesting, an interesting thing to, to do. And so now you're in the middle of raising your seed round, is that right? And Janine, I know you had some thoughts about funding and women-founded startups and health tech startups and so forth. Do you want to share? Well, first of all, Teresa, congratulations to you and your team for the recognition with UN Women. Those, those relationships are so powerful and valuable. And, you know, what I've seen is women entrepreneurs, we're, we're building and solving the world's toughest problems. And many times we do get... Um, Visibility. We get a lot of good press, some great stories. Uh, you know, a woman in business doing something for babies, that always makes for a great story, touches the heart. I love it. But what we're not getting is the money. And um, beyond, behind mm -hmm. every great story that needs to move forward <laughs> to keep solving is cash. And for reasons, you know, some related to us just not having enough women at the VC table, um, women-owned you know, VC organizations, um, just maybe our lack of the ability to to push into spaces where the doors aren't open for us. Uh, I find that that is a an ongoing challenge as it relates to, you know, myself. I'm sure Teresa will say Amen, as well as many other women that I've met in this space that have amazing ideas, amazing work, amazing products that they have manufactured but they can't bring it to scale. Um, and we cannot serve without scale. It's, it's just important. Mm -hmm. No, I totally agree with you, um, Janine. And you know, we've been seeing that a lot in the community here in Washington, DC with a lot of the startups and uh, the founders here. It's just that the, the money is just not there. And um, we're, you know, we're, that's, I, th I think that's one of the reasons why we're having a program like Get Found, Get Funded, like these podcasts to have the, this type of discussion, um, these type of discussions so that we can help figure out in this ecosystem how to bring in more money. And one of the questions I do have for you, Janine, um, before we um, jump into, you know, emerging, emerging markets in Uganda specifically, what are some suggestions you can um, provide for T Teresa to help, you know, besides the crowdfunding that she received and some of the other investments, but do you have any other suggestions that, you know, that can possibly help her um, grow and, and continue to scale, scale her business? Well, I like what you said about being involved with Cisco and going after some corporate funding. I know that's a very difficult place to stay in. Stay in. I had a lot of people approach me um, when I worked for GE about funding. One of the key things I can tell you 
about working with a major organization is you have to be willing to withstand the due diligence of what it takes to go through their process. I'm sure Teresa and her team went through mm -hmm. quite a bit of due diligence and legal and just what it means to work with such a heavy armed company. The other piece then becomes how much of your vision and your baby are you willing to give up or change? Because when it, reach, when it gets into the hands of a major corporation, they often want to change uh, some of your strategy. And I've met a lot of women entrepreneurs that have brought a vision to life and they don't want to be flexible with some of the changes. And I, I don't um, have a problem with that. I, I'm proud of them for wanting to stand by it. But when you get connected to a larger company, you've got to be ready for that. But what Teresa and her team are doing that is very attractive to uh, a company is that they're already working in this space whether the company joins them or not. That was critical for me when I was funding, mm -hmm. you know, doing any funding. I needed to know that you were already putting skin in the game and doing the work. This couldn't be, hey, we've got this great idea, could you give me some money for it and then we'll build it. It's we're doing this work, here are the validation studies, here are the proof points, here's everything that we're working on, you know, and we'd love for you to join us, but we're going to move forward without it. I also think that uh, the work that you're doing, and I don't know a lot about what you're doing in validation, but I know you mentioned it. Validation studies are critical because they're proof points that your work can actually work, that it can deliver, mm -hmm. that you've, you know, and, and you'll know, Teresa, that a validation in Uganda won't weigh the same in Ghana or in Nigeria. Africa's a tough place because the continent is so robust and it's so different. And so what she mm -hmm. may what what you may see as a success on the on the eastern border will be different for southern and central and, and western. So continue to move forward with the validation, but um, maybe consider um, an or a company that has a, a healthcare research entity because it's possible that some of your validation can be funded through some of their research studies as well as through partnerships. For example, when we were in East Africa, we worked with Ifakara Health Institute in Tanzania. And so mm -hmm. that work um, was very powerful in that Ifakara is sort of like the Gates of Africa, and um, Gates Foundation, I should say, of Africa. And partnering with them to do research um, helped open more doors for us in terms of visibility, but also scale with other governments and places that wanted to work with us. So I, you know, I would encourage you to do that. And then also the connection to every woman, every child, which is um, a great um, platform with the SDGs in the United Nations to strive, thrive, and transform the global world. They often, they each year doing UNGA, they do um, like the grand challenges with Canada, and um, they have an innovation hub during UNGA where your product can be showcased. And their partners are major corporations, and they're there. Um, the decision makers are in the room. You have a chance to demonstrate your product and talk about the work you do and share your research. And I, I, there, are, there are opportunities for people to hear and to see what you're doing. And um, mm -hmm. I find that to be um, every woman, every child is a trust anchor for other organizations. So when you're there, they're already trusting your work in that space to some degree. So that's going to help you. But mm -hmm. then I also, I'm sorry, I just yep. want to say mm -hmm. that I want to challenge 
those that are listening to this podcast, when if they have access into um, an organization or a venture fund that is working in this in the emerging market or wanting to work in this space or has no knowledge of this space but also just wants to invest in something that will literally change the lives of people everywhere and still be profitable because you can do good and still do well as a company. And um, so I want to challenge people to take a bet on people like Teresa, take a bet on women in the business space, take a bet on women that are engineers and have studied how to build and design products that are going to support the global market. It's it'll be one of the best bets you've ever made. And Teresa did say that her seed round is currently open, so there you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Janine, I love that taking a bet on women, and you know, um, Teresa, congratulations just on a few things. One, creating a diverse uh, a funding strategy for yourself that gave you, uh, you know, the the money that you needed to actually build the platform. I do have a question around that, though, maybe more of a. Um, you know, kind of what advice would you give a, a another founder or a, a team that is trying to balance building their platform while also raising money? It sounds like you've done it extremely well, but is there any advice you would give someone that's in your similar shoes that's looking to raise funding as well as building that platform so they're re- ready to go and launch? Huh. Yeah, great, great question. Um, and, you know, we're certainly still in the midst of it, so... From, from our vantage point right now, um, I'd say, you know, fundraising is, you know, certainly nearly a full-time job for my, my co-founder and, and CEO, Sona. Um, it's been, you know, a, definitely a long process, um, and our whole team, you know, has to work pretty hard for some of the, you know, the grants and all sorts of things that we've worked towards. And then with the, the seed rounds, uh, it's certainly a long effort where we've been building relationships with, with investors for, for uh, you know, many, many months. Um, so... Definitely being prepared to put in put in the time and the effort, um, and making sure you know not just that, but that you're being strategic about you know when you're funding, how much are you raising, what what sort of runway do you need, um, you know what's the right time in terms of you know the milestones that that you your company has hit and the things you're going to be achieving soon, uh, so that you know you're positioned well for your relationships with investors um, and and what you're going to do once you have that funding. I think that's great. Um, so let's let's kind of move into why you chose an emerging market in Uganda specifically. And you know, just as a techie myself, I'm always intrigued by uh, technology adoption in different areas of the world mm-hmm. and uh, kind of new products that are being developed to solve r- real world problems. So you know, Uganda, like a lot of African countries and other countries, you know, I think there are markets that are ready and ripe for adopting new technologies and change. I know um, Uganda has a growing startup scene. I've also heard just around the adoption of cryptocurrency and blockchain. Uh, so how, how, how did you choose Uganda as your launch country? Yeah, we, we love Uganda. We started off working there uh, through connections with uh, from Columbia um, very you know, early on in our, in our days as a student uh, group. Um, but we, we found in our you know, visits, um, in our time engaging with stakeholders in Uganda, that the need is very strong in newborn health, um, as it is in many places. Um, but as you, you know, also alluded to, it, it turned out to be a really interesting spot for our, for our business. Um, 
Uganda is devoting more and more resources to, to health and to, to medtech. Um, I believe from, from 2012 to 2015, the Ministry of Health spending on medical equipment and pharmaceuticals increased almost 50 percent. Uh, so this is really an area that, that um, they're focusing more and more on. Um, and beyond that, you know, Africa is uh, one of the world's you know, fastest growing economic regions. The, the medical device market is growing four times faster than it is here in the U.S. Uh, so there's a lot of, you know, quick, you know, fast movement, a lot of opportunity. Um, it's very, very interesting place for us to sort of be getting in um, sort of early on with a, with a user-centric product, I think. Janine, um, we talked a little, bit, a little bit about the adoption of new technologies and how significant are medical devices to the advancement in global health? Because I can say this, um, when I was at, um, in grad school, when I was studying, studying the healthcare market, the whole healthcare industry at the time, and this is, I'm dating myself, but this is in the late 90s, <laughs> and we were not specifically talking about global health. We were more so focused on the United States, and I think over the years, things have changed, obviously, and now we are looking more um, at global health. Can you talk about how significant are the medical devices to the advancement in global health? I think I, I believe I can, and with regards to um, our focus on global health versus whatever we were doing in the 90s. <laughs> um, I'll say that, I think, you know, the, the UN's launch of the Millennium Development Goals certainly began to shine. Well, that's when I became involved in global health. I think that's when my career was there and I became more involved. So I, I, I really can't speak to before that, but MDGs 4 and 5, which were focused on maternal health and infant care, um, were critical. and. Emerging markets, places like Africa, um, parts of South America, India, they were at risk for meeting the MDGs that were targeted to be closed in 2015 before the SDGs began, be, uh, became um, launched. And Just really quickly, why don't you tell our listeners what MDGs and right. SDGs so are? The Millennium Development Goals were the initial goals that the UN had put in place and uh, in 2005 uh, into 2015 to really ensure um, various targets for the world related to health and security and well-being and education, water, things like that. Uh, I target MDGs 4 and 5 because they were related to mothers and babies and my work in ultrasound was close to that. The same as the Sustainable Development Goals, which are called the SDGs. There's 17 SDGs. Um, now, SDG 3 is the, the goal that's around good health and well-being. But one could say easily that every SDG is is uh, is waiting for SDG number three to happen because if you don't have good health and well-being, then you can't come out of poverty. You you can't tackle hunger. You can't tackle education. All of these things can only happen when we health, have a healthy society. So I always say that global health is the platform for everything to blossom. Um, so that's that's the first thing, and then medical devices. Um, we certainly, I know for a fact that I spent many years studying what devices could work because I came from a diagnostic imaging background and diagnostic imaging are products like uh, MRs and CAT scans and very large types of products if you go into a hospital and you need to be x-rayed but, you know, thinking the big table and, you know, the, the, um, the magnetic sheet that's over you, think, think big equipment like that. You just can't put 
a CAT scan in the middle of, you know, Maasai Mara in Kenya. And I know that because I tried. <laughs> we took out the whole grid. You know, we just can't power it. And so medical devices are important because um, they fit the rural market in that they're affordable. They use um, components that can be sourced um, that are less expensive. They're rugged and durable, so they can manage in the adjudicated environment. Many times they don't need consumables or low-cost consumables. And most importantly, they can be used by a task-shifted user. So they don't, we don't have access to a volume, a large volume of radiologists and technologists in rural parts of Africa. It's said over and over again that there are more African doctors in Europe than there are in Africa. Right? To get um, a doctor or a radiologist or a technician to serve in rural parts of Africa, like where I'm sure Teresa and her team have been in Uganda and places like where I've been, um, then that's it's tough enough to get one in Kampala, more or less, more rural. And so we have to use task-shifted users. Mm -hmm. In my case, those were nurse midwives that were delivering ultrasound care because they were trained and allowed, but we weren't teaching them you know, the high-velocity ultrasound. We were teaching them five basic things about the womb and the mother. In this case, Teresa's and her team have created a product that, you know, it, it's easily operated, basic battery. It's plug and play, you know, it can track and, and, and monitor babies. It's, it, it's something where um, a nurse or a nurse midwife in a hospital or community health center could be trained to understand um, how it can work and how to use it for the patient. And uh, it's, it's very affordable, low consumable, low need. These things are all really, really important. And so that's why medical devices um, should be what takes off. Also be what Teresa started with was how when you go into these hospitals, you saw this dungeon, this graveyard of equipment. It's proof positive that these products while they can work in this environment, we're not setting the environment up for success with these types of products. And so these lower cost, more affordable products are, are important. They're also easy to manufacture, easier to store. Um, maybe you can put them places and they don't need to take up a lot of space. Um, and, and that's really important. And one of the things that we worked very hard on over the years was helping the World Health Organization and the United Nations really changed their perspective on what a medical device was. Because there was a time when a device was just a, a blood pressure cuff or something like that, um, not anything that had hinges. And, and I'm speaking engineering now. Mm -hmm. So if it had a hinge, if it needed a reboot or a restart, then that wasn't considered a device. And so when we wrote the publication for appropriate medical devices for mothers and babies, it was after years of... of piloting and validation and, and working on these products and then getting the World Health Organization to add a product like um, handheld ultrasound to the safe surgical checklist. These things are all important because they help not only um, the transformation of, of an organization and the work that Teresa and her team are doing, but also transforming the healthcare space to understand that medical devices are the game changer um, for environments that we're speaking about. Yeah, I mean, that's just amazing. Mm -hmm. I think you really touched on a lot of pieces there, Janine, on kind of how to think through medical devices, how to make them, them accessible, usable, practical, and not end up in the dungeon. <laughs> and Teresa, I know you and your team have, 
um, thought a lot about kind of structuring your business and your even your personnel to serve multiple markets. Talk to us a little bit about that and kind of what's gone into that thought process. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. So our, our first product, you know, it's not on the market yet. We're currently um, working on setting up our manufacturing and preparing for regulatory submissions. So a lot of that like R&D side work is, is taking place here in the U.S. Um, though I've been, you know, traveling regularly to Uganda for nearly four years now. Um, and a lot of our, our other efforts um, are do take place ab- abroad. So we have a subsidiary in Kampala now um, with two full-time team members on the ground, um, and we're doing lots of work in, in Uganda around, um, you know, clinical validation, uh, you know, partnership development, business strategy, um, as well as we have recently uh, did a um, sort of a trip over to, to Kenya to start doing some market research over there. Um, so we're starting to, to expand into a little more of East Africa as well. Um, and then we're sort of planning for, for a bit of growth over this next year, um, including uh, adding some sort of sales and marketing uh, and product support personnel based in East Africa. So we're, we're looking uh, working on that strategy now. Um, and I also you know, think it's really key to have, uh, as a startup uh, company, having you know, strong advisors and mentors with experience in, in international development and in global commercialization. Um, as well as the you know the right part- partners to help us expand. As as Jenny had mentioned earlier, you know Africa is a really diverse continent, um, and you know what we're doing sort of grassroots with development and implementation in Uganda. You know, we likely don't have the, the capacity to replicate all of that everywhere. Um, so we you know we're working on certain partnerships to, to help us scale um, beyond Uganda as well. Uh, we recently signed a contract with Doctors Without Borders to do a, a paid pilot in Cote d'Ivoire. So that'll be of our first uh, time over in West Africa, um, so we'll be learning a bit about you know how our products and our strategies will work over there as well. So we're excited for, for those sorts of opportunities to, to help us you know figure out how to grow and uh, sustainably and effectively. So, so Teresa, thank, thanks for that. And so, congratulations on moving from kind of the R and D phase into manufacturing and commercialization. You mentioned a few of the challenges. Mm-hmm. But we have with Janine here. Do you want to kind of frame maybe one of the challenges that you're experiencing right now as you're moving into this next phase of business? Um, yeah, I can try. <laughs> so, as as you probably gleaned from our the conversation so far, we're you know Neopenda is in a pretty challenging place for for a startup company that you're building something from scratch. We have you know a hardware product. Uh, which has you know pretty capital intensive development and, and manufacturing. We're also medical and, and, and dealing with a vulnerable patient population, so it's a it's a highly regulated space. Uh, and then on top of that, we're working in emerging markets, so there's some uh, unique business challenges there. So the I think the intersections of these areas, you know, haven't haven't exactly made things easy. Um, in short, I think it requires a lot. It requires us to sort of wrangle a lot of capital in order to get off the ground. Um, but I, you know, I say that, but also that I think that means we're, we're, we're tackling a unique problem that not many other people are looking at, and we're solving an unmet need. Um, but definitely an interesting space that, you know, sort of has these overlapping overlapping challenges that, that can make it hard to get from an idea to, to something that's, that's, you know, at scale. So I'm, I'm curious your, your perspective on that. I mean, well, you know, scale is... 
it's a, it's an expensive part of the process. You know, we have big ideas. We want to make them mm -hmm. usable, scalable, and profitable. And um, in our head, we know how to make them usable. Uh, we hit a wall when we want to scale. We got we have big dreams for scaling, but how we make that happen, we already know that costs money. And then, in order to become profitable and make money, we have to have the money. So we're in this cycle. Um, that's hard to get out of um, as a startup, as a, a woman entrepreneur. It doesn't mean it's impossible. It is, it's just challenging. And so for all of the reasons that we talked about in terms of partnerships, like someone like Doctors Without Border, great partner, done great work with them, um, continuing to, to push forward in the for-profit space or even some of the nonprofit. But partnerships in this space will be key uh, for what I've seen grow, uh, in terms of growth. Even in the private sector where we were a company that had money. We partnerships were, were critical to I could do how I could do my work because we were literally, you know, we had a product, we were sitting there in the middle of the world and what do we do with it? So partnering with everyone from the chief of a village to the minister of health to every woman, every child in the UN to an investment funder, you know, you speak these multiple languages of passion and profitability. And, um, but, but they matter because you have to be able to tell both stories. And, um, and then when it, you know, when it sinks, it works, but it, it does happen over time. And um, I've, I've found it to be a bit more um, time consuming for us as women. I will say even as a woman in the private sector, um, trying to, working hard to deliver a product for, for the emerging market. Well, so let's talk a little mm -hmm. bit about the manufacturing and scalability and those challenges. Because I know, Janine, you had had some ideas about kind of some of the challenges that you've seen, particularly at that stage in the game, right? That there's, I know you'd mentioned to us previously that there's often money for research, um, but then you get to manufacturing and maybe it's a little bit tougher to find money for that. Or kind of how do you... Um, decide to hold inventory or where does that go? How does that work in, in, in this particular sense? And, you know, I think it's, it's that and it's also the, the societal challenges in the spaces where uh, Neopenda and Teresa and her team are working. Um, we've had lots of challenges with storing product and keeping product in an environment like this. Um, and so you know, all of those are, are, are difficult. Doable, because I don't want to, I don't want to sound <laughs> negative. It's possible. Uh, you just have to be willing to stay the course and you've, it's really important to find that right partner. Manufacturing on the continent um, requires uh, committing to the local community. You know, what you do on the ground has to happen on the ground. You have to create a living wage for people on the ground um, to be able to manage uh, and to do that work. I think that's when you have, that's when I've seen a few, um, one startup I'm thinking about very specifically, she's done something so incredible in how she's created a living wage for uh, the people in, in Western Africa and then this product is being sold um, throughout the U.S. Um, and commercialized in, in some major markets. And profitability, it's not the, the profit where 
if you buy wine, we give half to the community. It's, no, we've already created a living wage for this community, and if you buy it, you're continuing to support it. And lives change when you create that living wage, wage for, for people. Women that now have an income can put a tin roof on their homes, and that means they can sleep at night, and their children can go to school, they can buy uniforms. All of these things matter, and these are the discussions that have to cross-pollinate. That's why it's so important to have the Minister of Health and the Minister of Finance and the Cultural Minister all in the room at the same time. These meetings, independent of each other, don't have the same fire. That's why it was so important to you know, have a conversation and win over the chief of the villages where we worked. Don't you want your, your village to be known for its healthy community? Don't you want your men and women to live? It's a fishing community. Your men are gone all the time. Your women are here by themselves. Don't you want them to be able to live well and to eat and to go to school? And there's a sense of pride that goes along with that. Well, then let's build a partnership where we can manufacture it. We'll come and we'll build the unit and your community will watch over it and serve it. It sounds... It sounds so rudimentary, and then it also sounds so simple, but so many people are not doing it, and they're not willing to even think to do it. So imagine me taking the CEO of GE Africa into a village, and he's like, what are we going to do today? I'm like, seriously, we're just going to chill with the chief, have some tea, and sit on the ground. He's like, what? But, but, he, but doing that makes the difference. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when it comes to how you can manufacture or work or bring a product into an area, I, I believe it makes the difference. And... Um, there are so many people that just aren't willing to do that. Right. Christina, I want you to jump in this because this is your area of discussion, the partnerships. What do you think about that? Um, how Janine just brokered relationships with the chiefs of villages in Africa. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and I'd like to you know, throw that to you. And then Teresa, um, I would like to know as well, have you, are you doing this currently? Or what are you doing to build relationships in the community? But I'll let uh, Christina jump in. You got, you know how I feel about partnerships. I feel, you know, in, in every market, in every industry, I, partnerships are critical to progress. We talked about scalability, uh, usability, and being profitable. Uh, oftentimes, to hit any of those areas, you you definitely need um, partnerships. And so I, I know, Teresa, you mentioned Doctors Without Borders, and Janine mentioned mm -hmm. Every Woman, Every Child. Uh, it's really important to identify those partnerships that are mutually beneficial, uh, where you're providing a service to them and they're providing a service to you. But the one thing that Janine said that I think is critical, and when we're talking about partnerships in emerging markets, is that commitment to local community um, and really talking by creating living wage jobs, because you're changing the trajectory of a family's lifestyle and their ability to make change and impact uh, long term. And so if there's anything, um, you know, that I think uh, that I can offer just in this discussion around partnerships is, you know, really talking to the Minister of Health and Finance and Culture, um, finding those champions on the ground that can help forge and develop relationships that you may not be able to do because you're not from the local community, but really building that team out to help in that area and then identifying a few key partners that you want to um, help grow. And I'll, I'll actually talk a question, Teresa, to you as well. Um, mm -hmm. You've identified a few partners already, but do you have any kind of um, goal-changing partnerships that you'd like to see, uh, you know, see created for you and your company over the next, I would say, 12 to 36 months? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, great, great points and advice there. I definitely 
agree, you know, about you know, building local partnerships and really integrating with the community. Um, you know, as my founder and I are you know, not Ugandan ourselves, um, though we, we also have Ugandan team members as well, um, which has been really great uh, for, for growing the company. But, um, you know, for, for my, on my side more of it, on the product development side, um, it's been really, really valuable over the years to, to spend a lot of time, you know, with our, our users themselves. So sort of not so much the, the big, the, you know, high-level, you know, key players um, in, you know, on the national level or anything, but, you know, just spending lots of time building, time building relationships with, with nurses especially. That's sort of our main users. Um, we have a, a partnership with a, uh, a local um, Ugandan group called um, IEEE, the Uganda section, um, and they um, sort of helped us link up with, like, the nurses' union, and, and we'll spend just a lot of time um, you know, meeting with nurses in the hospital or, or outside the hospital, um, and sort of getting their getting their feedback on our on our design, involving them in the process, and learning from them essentially on how to, to build something that's going to be you know useful and impactful for them. Um, so that's sort of what my you know most most of my time in terms of partnerships have been just one on one with nurses. But then sort of me and as as an organization, we've also you know been working on. Um, you know, building those larger, higher-level partnerships as well and figuring out, you know, who are the champions in, in the Ministry of Health that, that are working on, 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 you know, newborn health initiatives that, that we can, you know, present to and things like that, um, sort of starting to link up with groups like, like UNICEF and Save the Children that do a lot of work and can, you know, help us not only be successful in Uganda but then uh, sort of bridge uh, to scale to other areas as well. So those are sort of some of the... The things we're looking at for, for moving forward, um, what what key partners will really help us grow our work. Yeah, and, and one one other thing that that um, is coming to me as well is just in building out. You know, we're, we talked on this phone, and I, I just have to say, you know, both to you and and Janine, you guys are rock star women in technology, right? Really uh, setting yourselves up as role models, and I think for the women. Uh, and Uganda and the countries that you're going to go to, there might be an opportunity to really develop a kind of a technical workforce where you are helping mm-hmm. to train the next wave of nurses that understand and are uh, empowered to use technology to get their job Absolutely. done. Absolutely. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I'm just, I think you're in such a great place to do that. And so that might be another kind of angle to make sure that you're, um, you know, linked with a workforce development organization that's really helping to train more individuals mm-hmm. in this area. You know what I, yeah, find, I love that. what I find so interesting about um, saying that they're rock, technical rock stars. You guys are. And Janine, I just, you know, I've known you for a number of years now. I, can't. Well, I don't even know more than 10. It's so been more than 10, 10 years, years, right? So you have been ahead of all of this. I didn't realize it at the time when I first met you and got to know you through, you know, the Healthy Baby Begins With You campaign. And, uh, yeah, that's how far back we go um, with Tanya and uh, Joya. And um, one of the things I do want to ask you uh, is regulatory issues, because um, I know, I'm sure GE had to, you know, navigate through a lot of regulatory issues in Africa. And uh, Teresa, you mentioned to us off, off, uh, offline during some of our conversations that You've been having some, um, some, some concerns about it as well. Do you have any advice that you can perhaps give to Teresa and how to, 
you know, navigate through those uh, rough waters because she not only has to deal with Africa, but you also have to deal with the United States too, correct, Teresa? And maybe, Teresa, <laughs> give us a little bit of context for your regulatory challenges, and then Janine can give some more specific thoughts, perhaps. Sure, yeah. So we are a, you know, a regulated medical device. We're pursuing CE marking as sort of our, our route to, to commercialization. Um, our, that'll be our high-level regulatory approval. Um, so we're, we're going through the ISO 13485 cert, uh, certification and uh, preparing for our CE marking. And uh, we've sort of mapped out the, the path to, to getting approval in, you know, our initial uh, markets, including Uganda. And, and typically, um, those countries will look to a CE mark or an FDA approval um, and then, you know, have some additional local, additional local registrations as well. But um, we're sort of going for the the uh, traditionally accepted route of CE as our, our main entry. And again, you know, we're, we're back to funding because those things mm -hmm. are very expensive mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you can't cut a corner on it. People's lives are at stake mm. and we're doing very critical work. So as a small entity, I'm, I can imagine, you know, with Teresa's teams and their fundraising and, and what's going into this. Um, I think that it'll also be important as as they scale to look at where they manufacture. I know we've been talking about locally, and um, that's super important if they have the infrastructure in the region and can support it. If not, maybe they would be um, a warehousing in in the in the region where you're working. Because a lot mm -hmm. of times it's possible, you know, if you're manufacturing I won't, in, in a different country, say you, you manufacture in, um, in Finland or something, and then you're transporting to Africa, that there's expense that's uh, saved in doing that. So sometimes European manufacturing, so you've got this American product to serve Africa, manufactured in Europe. But it, <laughs> it, it, it can happen in a good way, depending, again, on who the manufacturer is. And I think I'll keep silent about some of the areas that we know won't be the greatest places, but um, I think that that's, that's also important. And again, we're, we're right back to where we were around, um, around the financials and what it takes to get the work that she's doing now. Mm -hmm. Great point. We have had quite the conversation today. <laughs> so thank you <laughs> both for being here with us. This is exciting stuff. We've talked a little bit about kind of what, some of the challenges are in um, emerging economies and how to even talk about and define those in terms. Um, we've talked about the real importance of partnerships when you're dreaming big, really thinking through kind of how to get the right people on board, um, whether they're other corporations or associations or NGOs or you know even larger governmental bodies that you need support in. And really some of those key pieces that Janine brought up for us in thinking through medical devices in emerging markets and how it's so important that things don't end up in the medical device graveyard. And Teresa and her team are really committed to that. And that's kind of what drove the original um, innovation here. So we had some really, really interesting statistics. So as a data geek, that was really fun. Um, and I think we mentioned multiple times how important it is that these enterprises get funded and that this, the money issue is just so critical. So again, I will um, make a plea to our listeners, if you are interested, get in touch with Teresa to um, fund what they're working on right now. And that this is not just about um, doing things simply out of the goodness of your heart, but also 
there's good returns to be had in this as well. So lots and lots and lots of things we covered today. But before we go, Teresa, can you tell people how to find you? Yeah, um, so you can learn more about us at, at neopenda.com or you know, find, find me and our, our team. We're on Twitter at neopenda underscore health or you know, Facebook and LinkedIn at neopenda. So um, you can definitely find us online and reach out or you know, email us at info at neopenda um, and we'll, we'd love to talk to you guys, everybody some more. Wonderful. Janine, how about you? Where would people get a hold of you? Oh, I'd love to have people follow me uh, on Twitter at Janine Uzel, J-A-N-E-E-N-U-Z-Z-E-L-L. You could also find me on LinkedIn. That's with the same name. And on Instagram. Instagram is mostly my family fun stuff. But I, I like to talk good topics on Twitter and LinkedIn. So I also write for Medium. So you can follow me on Medium oh. at my first and last name as well. So starting to share some stories and some experiences there. So I didn't let's, know let's get my social media numbers up a little. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's new. You're I'm just, you know, after, after this year, I'm starting to work on that. That's great. And Thank then you. before we go, you also started a new job just recently. Yeah, then you want so to talk fun. real, real, real quickly about that. Yeah, so I am now the chief operating officer for Wikimedia. And for, for those that are kind of like, I think I know about Wikipedia, but what's Wikimedia? Let, let me just tell you very quickly. Wikipedia is the movement for free knowledge. It's the encyclopedia of the world, right? As Wikipedia began to grow, the, we knew we needed to build an organization around it. So Wikimedia is the organization that supports the wiki platforms, and there are many. If you use Siri and Alexa, then Wikidata is, is helping to educate your, your virtual assistant. Uh, Wikipedia, there, there's, there's so many, there's 11 platforms that are in the wiki commons, and I'm excited to be alongside Catherine Mayer, as, and, uh, who is our CEO working as the chief operating officer to really help drive our strategy. We are the essential infrastructure for free knowledge for the world, and I'm excited to be a part of that. And a big part of my role will be so much of what we talked about today, but just not for healthcare, but for free knowledge and mm -hmm. ensuring that the same places that we talked about today and the same people have access to, to information and content because we know that information is power and that is what's going to change the world and also help create solidarity for people everywhere. So I'm so excited. Lots of fun. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm blown away <laughs> by your new job. That's, that's, that's Me great. too. It's super yeah. cool. That's why I don't have any voice today. I've just been working and talking a lot. Well, thank you both for being on our show. Teresa, thank you for what you're doing to solve big problems and change the world. And to you as well, Janine. Thank you. So for all Thanks of our so much. Yeah, we're so glad you're here. For all of our listeners, make sure to not miss an episode. You can find us now on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. So check us out. And we're also, of course, on social media. You can check out our Facebook page, our Instagram and Twitter accounts. And of course, we as the co-hosts share things on our LinkedIn. So don't miss out.